What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Happy Holidays from Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host, and this is the holiday edition of my podcast. And also, it is the last podcast of the year. So I'm going to take a little time off uh, between now and the first of the year. So uh, when we get into 2021, I will be back the first week of January, and we cannot get to 2021 fast enough, can we? So here's what I want to do for this particular episode. Number one, I want to give you the background of some of your favorite Christmas songs. Last year, I talked about the uh, origin of the famous Carpenters hit, Merry Christmas, Darling. And that's a pretty cool story. I'm actually going to reprise it. But uh, in addition to telling you about the origin of some of your favorite Christmas songs, uh, I'm also going to talk about the radio stations, and there seems to be at least one in every market that plays Christmas music continuously during the season. And the very first major market station to do that was back in the late 90s, and it was KOST Coast in Los Angeles. And I am going to be chatting with Johnny Kay, who was the program director, and so we're going to talk all about Christmas music on the radio, when you start, when you stop, what do you play, uh, the reaction pushback, all kinds of stuff. So that's this week and next week on Hollywood and Levine. Okay, so first, let's talk about some of the more famous Christmas songs, because some of these factoids, some of these nuggets are things that you may not have known. And of course, we're going to start with White Christmas, and accounts vary as to whether this was written in La Quinta, California, or in Biltmore, Arizona. And it was written by Irving Berlin. And here's going to be a theme, actually a couple of themes. Number one, Jews wrote the famous Christmas songs. And number two, they were written in the summer. But in any event, in the summer, either in California or in Arizona, Irving Berlin sat down and he wrote this song. And he would often stay up late at night writing. One day he told his secretary, he said, I want you to take down a song I wrote over the weekend. And he said, not only is it the best song I ever wrote, 
It's the best song anybody ever wrote. Okay, Irv, uh, it's pretty good, but <clears throat> come on, it's no surfing bird. Anyway, the first public performance of White Christmas was by Bing Crosby, of course. Uh, he had a radio show on NBC, the Kraft Music Hall, and he sang it on Christmas Day in 1941. Now, he subsequently recorded the song with the John Scott Trotter Orchestra and the Ken Darby Singers. Now, these may all come up sometime on Jeopardy, so it's important that I tell you all of these names. And it was for Decca Records, and uh, it originally, you know, was not all that well-received, but it was released as part of an album of... 78 RPM discs, and it was from the musical film Holiday Inn. Now, a couple of uh, critics, Dave Marsh and Steve Propes, wrote that White Christmas changed Christmas music forever, both by revealing the huge potential market for Christmas songs and by establishing the themes of home and nostalgia that would run through Christmas music evermore. And now let's go back, 1941, December 7th, the day that we live in infamy. That was the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And uh, Crosby introduced White Christmas on his Christmas Day broadcast, as I mentioned. And the Armed Forces Network was flooded with requests for that song. And here's something that I didn't know, because I've been hearing this song practically my entire life that there were revised versions of it, that Bing Crosby, like every few years, would sing a new version and would add something, like the whistling at one point. And the version that is most often heard today on the radio is the 1947 re-recording of White Christmas. Okay, let's move on to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And this was actually a story. So it wasn't a song originally. It was a, a story, a fictional reindeer, and it was created by Robert Louis May. Take down these names. There's going to be a quiz later. And Rudolph first appeared in a 1939 booklet by Robert May, and it was published by Montgomery Ward's The Department Store. Then the song was written by John David Marks, who I think is also Jewish, but I'm not sure. And what's interesting about this guy is that he specialized in writing Christmas songs. He probably made a fortune, and he wrote many holiday standards, including Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which was a big hit for Gene Autry. And a lot of people think that Gene Autry wrote that song. Nope, nope. It was written by John David Marks. Also, he wrote Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. Remember the old Brenda Lee hit? And that, too, first came out and was meh, kind of laid an egg. And eventually, several years later, radio stations started playing it, and it caught on and was a huge hit for Brenda Lee and is now a standard. And uh, Mr. Marks also wrote uh, Holly Jolly Christmas. That was done by Burl Ives. And then Silver and Gold, also for Burl Ives. I Heard Bells on Christmas Day. 
And that was introduced by, of course, Bing Crosby. And here's one that surprised me. Run Rudolph Run, which was a song recorded by Chuck Berry. And I always thought it was a Chuck Berry song. It certainly sounded like the kind of thing that Chuck Berry would write. Nope. Again, John David Marks. Getting a little more traditional now, we go to Silent Night. Believe it or not, uh, this was not written by Chuck Berry either. Uh, It was composed in 1918 by Franz Xavier Gruber, and the lyrics were by Joseph Moore in a small town that I can't pronounce in Austria, which kind of makes sense. And then there's Winter Wonderland, written way back in 1934 by Felix Bernard. He did the music and the lyrics were done by Richard Barnhart Smith. And originally, it was just a romantic song. It was really about a couple. But due to its seasonal theme, it is often regarded as a Christmas song in the Northern Hemisphere. And since the original recording by, again, here's a name you need to know, Richard Himberg, it has been covered by over 200 different artists. And it's also a song, in order to make it more of a Christmas song, uh, lyrics have been changed. And this is another common theme we're going to find, is that uh, for these guys writing lyrics, Christmas songs, they might as well have been writing sitcom episodes for ABC because they were constantly getting notes and constantly having to change things. Moving on to I'll Be Home for Christmas. Now, this was written by lyricist Kim Gannon, and the composer was Walter Kent. It was recorded in 1943 by, take a guess, that's right, Bing Crosby, and he scored a top 10 hit with this song. It was originally written to honor soldiers overseas who longed to be home during Christmas time. I'll Be Home for Christmas has since gone on to become a Christmas standard. One of my favorite Christmas songs is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. And this was written in 1943 by Hugh Martin and Ralph Blaine, and it was introduced by Judy Garland in the 1944 MGM musical Meet Me at St. Louis, which you probably have seen at this point. Some of the original lyrics that were penned by Martin were rejected before filming began, however, because when presented with the original draft of the lyrics, Judy Garland, her co-star Tom Drake, and the director Vincent Minnelli criticized the song. They thought it was way too depressing, and they asked Martin to change the lyrics. Now, typical writer, he initially resisted, but they wore his ass down, and he did have to make several of the changes. They wanted to make the song a little more upbeat. For example, these were his original lines. It may be your last. Next year, we may all be living in the past. Wow, we all may be dead. Well, that became, let your heart be light. Next year, all our troubles will be out of sight. I guess that's a little more optimistic. Anyway, Garland's 
version of the song, which was also released as a single by Decca Records, became very popular in the U.S., especially among the troops in World War II. 1957, and old Blue Eyes got a hold of it, Frank Sinatra. And he asked Martin to revise the lyrics. Until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. And here is his problem with that. The name of his album was A Jolly Christmas. So he said, do you think you could jolly up that line for me a little bit? Uh, I'm sure Martin rolled his eyes, sat down, and the new line was hang a shining star upon the highest bough, which I, I got to give it to Frank. That's, I think, a better line, and that's really the line that I'm most familiar with in the song. And then in 2002, they're still revising this damn song. Uh, new song lead singer Michael O'Brien noted the line, Through the years, we will all be together if the Lord allows. Well, he decided to change that to, if the fates allow, to remove any religious reference when the song was released. And again, that's pretty much the version that I know. Now, let's go to the Christmas song. Again, written by Jews. It was written in 1945 by Mel Torme and Robert Wells. And this is another case of a song written in the summer. And according to Mel Torme, the song was written in July during a blistering hot summer. And in an effort to stay cool by thinking cool, which is a logic I don't quite understand... Uh, this most performed, according to BMI Christmas song, was born. And Mel said that he saw a spiral pad on Wells' piano with four lines written in pencil. They started chestnuts roasting, Jack Frost nipping, yuletide carols, folks dressed up like Eskimos. And Bob didn't think he was writing a song lyric. He said he just thought he would immerse himself in winter and that hopefully he could cool off. Well, Torme took those little snippets of lyrics. Forty minutes later, that song was written. He wrote the music and he filled in all of the lyrics in only 40 minutes. And, of course, a lot of people have recorded it, but the one who is most famous is Nat King Cole, and he recorded it originally with the Nat King Cole Trio. This was way back in 1946. And at his behest, over the objection of his label, Capitol Records, a second recording was made in August utilizing a small string section. Again, that was a good move. Um, this recording lasted for a few years until 1953 when he went back into the studio. He used the same arrangement, but this time with a full orchestra arranged and conducted by Nelson Riddle. And then once more, in 1961, he made a stereo version with another full orchestra arranged and conducted by Ralph Carmichael. And that 1961 version is generally regarded as the definitive one of the Christmas song. What's very weird is one year, my wife and I went to a movie on Christmas Day. And then we went out to eat. And a lot of restaurants aren't open on Christmas night. 
And there was a 24-hour diner coffee shop called Dolores's on Santa Monica Boulevard in West Hollywood. And like I said, it was just kind of this, you know, cheesy diner place. And so my wife and I went to get some dinner. And there, sitting alone at the next table on Christmas night, was Mel Torme. All right. Now, let's circle back to Merry Christmas, Darling. Because if you didn't hear this story, it's actually pretty cool. The lyrics were written in 1944 by an 18-year-old soldier named Frank Pooler. And according to him, he really just wrote it as a a letter to his then-girlfriend he had overseas. And then they drifted apart and reunited years later. And she had kept that letter and she gave it to him. And then he decided to write a song about it, and he wasn't too happy with the melody, and it really kind of went nowhere. And now we flash forward to 1966, and he is the choral director of Cal State University Long Beach, and one of his students is Richard Carpenter. And he thought Carpenter had a lot of promise, and Richard was looking to write songs, And he asked him, do you have anything, any kind of lyrics that I could write music to? And Pooler said, well, yeah, I've got this letter. I tried to write a song myself and wasn't really happy with it. So he gave the lyrics to Richard Carpenter. And Carpenter sat down and in 15 minutes, 15 minutes, he wrote, Merry Christmas, Darling. And four years later, in 1970, the Carpenters had caught on, and they recorded it, and it is one of the big standard Christmas songs to this day. So there is just a look at some of the Christmas songs that you know and love. I'm not going to talk about Police Navidad, because I hate that song. Uh, And I'm going to get into that here in a few minutes, because now we are going to turn our attentions to Christmas music on the radio, because that's pretty much where you heard it all your life. And radio stations, traditionally, when you got into the end of November and the month of December, music stations at least, would start integrating Christmas songs into their normal programming. And then in the late 90s, a couple of small stations decided, well, what the hell? We got nothing else going. And they started playing Christmas music all the time. And this led to a major market station, Coast, in Los Angeles, going all Christmas music. They have been doing it ever since. They get huge ratings, unbelievable ratings ratings. And so what we are going to do now is talk to Johnny Kay, who was the program director of Coast at the time. And Johnny Kay, well known in radio circles, truly has the Midas touch. He has been program director of the year any number of times. Every time he takes over a station and the formats can be very different He always turns them into huge hits. He just has that feel for radio programming. He was the PD of Coast 
And again, that has become a monster. So let's now meet Johnny K. Merry Christmas, Coast 103.5. Okay, so Johnny, let's go back to the late 90s. And you're the program director of Coast in Los Angeles, which is a very successful radio station. And you were what, Ben? Kind of playing mellow rock not really beautiful music, but just kind of soft. Adult, contemporary, adult contemporary. We call it soft hits. Okay. And uh, then you somehow got the idea to play all Christmas music during the Christmas season. All radio stations would work in some Christmas songs as part of their regular programming, but that was pretty radical to go all Christmas music. Now, you had heard about this from small stations. How did you arrive at this? Yes, uh, the people in uh, our corporation at the time, whether it was AM, FM, or Clear Channel, I can't recall, um, they had informed me about these three other radio stations that had done all Christmas, I think the year before, in the smaller markets. And their ratings had just gone through the roof. They were phenomenal. So... It was basically presented to me much like the idea for love songs on the coast was presented to me. You can do it or your competitor can do it, but if they benefit from it, you'll never catch up to them. Yeah, I guess once a radio station in a market establishes themselves as the station that does it, then there can be two or three others and they don't really have the same impact. Right. Your first is always important in any uh, radio battle, you know, to get there first. That's, that's one reason the coast was so successful. It was the first adult AC in Los Angeles. At one time, we had four in L.A., but, you know, they all came in second, third, and fourth. So we had already picked up the lion's share of the audience. So if you're going to go all Christmas, in a sense, you're creating another whole radio station, so a number of questions. First of all, when do you start playing? Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. First of all, it really tugged at my gut to change, basically change the format of the radio station by going all holiday music. Um, but what I just liken back to my youth. Uh, I grew up here in the greater Los Angeles area and out in, in the Inland Empire. And Christmas back then for a child of the 50s and 60s, uh, began really right after Thanksgiving, that Thanksgiving weekend. So for me, that was the proper time to start. And I thought that was early. Today, some of these radio stations go Christmas uh, in early October, and there are several that are Christmas all year long. That I don't understand. (laughs) Even with the COVID, I don't understand it. (laughs) You want to feel good, but can you really feel that good for an entire 365? I guess they're not worried that they're not going to get many Jews listening. (laughs) Yeah, you didn't have uh, very much the Adam Sandler song, and uh, uh, there was one other that I can't think of right now. Yeah. However, however, remember, most of the Christmas songs were written by Jewish people. That's true. So those those people, in fact, I live in Toluca Lake. A couple were written just down the street from me. so, uh, you know, they, they benefited from the uh, broadcast of all this music. So you started 
right after Thanksgiving. And now a lot of stations are starting the beginning of November. That seems to be the start date now. Well, actually, uh, it's moved to pretty much Halloween, from what I can tell, for the early stations. They go right about there. Again, they have learned that lesson of it pays to be first, so they want to get right into it. On television, look at the Hallmark Channel. When do they go all Christmas programming? I mean, that's been running for months at this right. point. Yeah, well, uh, that's what the Hallmark Channel is known for. It's the Christmas mo- movies and then other crap. <laughs> <laughs> but Christmas movies pretty much define that network. Okay, yes. so that's when you start. When do you end? Do you end right after Christmas? Do you end after uh, New Year's? Do you end after the Super Bowl? When do you end? Uh, again, I, I went back to my childhood and I said, well, Christmas kind of ends you know, there are people who open presents on Christmas Eve. There are people who open their presents Christmas morning. There are some people who go all the way through Christmas Day and after Christmas dinner, then open presents on Christmas evening. So I pretty much declared we'd, we'd stop it at midnight, one or two on Christmas nights. Did you have live disc jockeys at the time? Yes. Okay. They were all live. Okay. Did they hate? <laughs> the Christmas season? Did it no. out of their minds? No, not at all. Of course, we did the Christmas Wish, which was a tremendous giveaway and really a heart tugger. If you listen to some of these people who were wishing for uh, various items for their loved ones, and we would grant those wishes, and it was it was very much um, a queen for a day kind of feel uh, because you could tell from the sounds of these people they really were hurting and in need. And it was uh, that was probably one of the things I'm most proud about my career, um, that I actually got to help some people that way who were hurting. Yeah, no, I know that those were pretty much the wishes that you granted. So I would send in things saying, uh, you know, I'm an amateur photographer and uh, an alligator cut off my arm. So I, I would like a new camera. <laughs> and uh, you guys never bought it. No, we, you know, and it, it was a real shame. You know what the the shame of of this was? I, pretty much every year that we did it, and I think I did it for about seventeen years or so. Um, there was always someone who got us, someone who really sounded poor and needy, and we would. I remember one time in particular, we uh, heard about these kids who had no toys and we gave them, I don't know, 500 or a thousand dollars in toys and whatnot. And their neighbor turned them in saying, look, she drives a, a Mercedes. Her husband drives a BMW. They are the best dressed kids in the neighborhood. Do you know what you have done? <laughs> Did you ever so. grant a Christmas wish to Ivanka? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Couldn't come up with the right gift. So you're playing Christmas music 24-7. How many songs are in your playlist? Oh, my. I wish I could remember the exact number. Um, It was was pretty healthy, though. Uh, Bing Crosby, of course, was in a power rotation, and the Andy Williams Happy Holiday and songs like that. Uh, I, I... 
really liked the traditional songs. I was not a big fan of the remakes of popular Christmas songs, although let's say that uh, Leanne Rimes was very popular in those years that we were broadcasting Christmas songs. Um, if she came out with a remake of one of the traditional hits, we would put that in, but it would be very much in a secondary rotation. Because remember, this is true for radio programming in general. People only know, only like what they already know. So you want to play the songs that, you know, they grew up with as well. And since we were speaking to adults for the most part with this kind of format, um, it, it was a simple choice, which songs to rotate faster than the others. So there would be the Christmas song by Nat King Cole and White Christmas and probably Merry Christmas, Darling by the Carpenters. And, um, hey, would you play the Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You? Yes, we did. And uh, since that was so popular at the time when it was released, it probably was in power rotation initially. If we were programming uh, the Christmas songs now, that would probably be in a secondary rotation. Now, did you do research? Did you actually groups and things like that to determine which Christmas songs or which Christmas artists the audience heard? Initially, for the first you know dozen years or so, no, I, I pretty much picked the music. But then we got in because we always did music tests for the regular adult contemporary format, and those are called auditorium music tests because they're held in a big hotel room. You get three hundred people together, typically a hundred at a time over three nights. And you play approximately 900 snippets of songs to them, and they rate them about how much they like them or hate I them. hope you fed these people. <laughs> yes, we uh, – no, wait a minute. We didn't. No. but Oh, my God. Them. 900 snippets? <laughs> they, we did it in two hours, though. Because, oh. yeah, believe it or not, I mean, uh, you can judge a song, you being anyone can judge a song, this song simply by yesterday, that's all you need to – Make a score and move on to the next song. Okay. Benny and the Jets, that's all you need. It's, they're called hooks. So we played 900 hooks. Anyhow, to answer your question, though, about the Christmas music, eventually, uh, I believe it was Stella Prado, when she took the program director reins after I had uh, departed, uh, she would hold auditorium uh, and auditorium music test and have Christmas trees in there. And it looked like snow had fallen <laughs> on the carpet and whatnot. And she really got them in the mood. And now, they, did it surprise you that certain songs are beloved by some, but hated by others? I, I mean, like Feliz Navidad, I can't stand Feliz Navidad, and I can't stand Paul McCartney's simply having a wonderful, wonderful Christmas time. Yeah, oh, yeah, you, and, just, you and I are in sync on that one. Yeah. <laughs> However, well, it was a power because it was immensely power, uh, popular. And when you say a power, that means that you play it more than any of the other songs. How often would you play it? What is the rotation? Like once every hour, once every five hours? Um, Oh, no, no. Uh, typically, Powers played about every four hours and ten minutes, roughly. Uh, and when you say it's a power, not one song is a power. A bunch of songs go into the power rotation category. And then all the other songs go into a secondary rotation category. And once in a while, you have the tertiary category. 
Yeah, do you ever play any novelty? Do you ever play the barking dogs doing jingle bells? Oh, you bet we did, you know, and uh, another novelty song that really tugged at the heartstrings was, uh, uh, I think it was called Christmas Shoes. Do you remember that about the little boy, his mother was dying, and all he wanted to do was buy her some red shoes so that uh, she would look good when she met Jesus? Uh, no, I'm I'm humming it now. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's one of my favorites of all time is Christmas shoes. Believe it or not, Ken, we would have people, and I mean more than one, call me and say that every time you play that song, if I'm driving in the car, I have to pull over because I'm crying. Wow. Wow. Christmas is about striking the heart, I think, and and reaching uh, the soul of the listener. Um, It's... It somehow, you know, manages to communicate to our spirits. Well, your ratings go sky high. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, when it's over, do you at least get some of that residual audience that stays with you? Because it's there- like in TV sweeps where, yeah, a network will bring a lot of people under the tent to watch some big special but then the special is over and they go back to whatever they were doing. So what, you know, benefit residually do you get from doing the Christmas music full time? Believe it or not, there was a halo effect. Um, it, and stations that play Christmas music and cut it off somewhere near December 26th, let's say, um, they typically still do well, not as well, but they are higher than average with ratings in January because there are a lot of radios uh, that are, we call them stationary radios. They're in kitchens and bathrooms where the dial is so dusty, dusty because you never change it. You just set it and leave it. And when you pick up these stationary radios by playing the holiday music, uh, people don't change back for a while. Uh, I also discovered uh, over time that it was wrong to cut the music off. Let's say we were going to cut it off at midnight on, on December 25th um, to cease all Christmas music. Uh, we found it was much smarter. We would go down to four songs per hour and gently, it was like a drug. <laughs> we so gently, kind of fade it out, right? <laughs> yes, that's right. right. Yeah, but then some of your listeners are going, wait a minute, Benny and the Jets is a Christmas song? What? <laughs> well, you have, to, you, you have to set it apart. So we would have bumpers on, uh, uh, before the Christmas songs played along with the other adult contemporary hits that would separate. There was a separator that put you back in the mood, maybe had some jingle bells behind it. And, you know, maybe, maybe we do something like Coast 103 remembers Christmas 1954 and then play whatever song was appropriate. Yeah. Well, it was certainly a huge success back then. You were really the first major market station to do it. And now I guess every market has it. And on Sirius XM, Johnny, there are 17, count them, 17 holiday channels to choose that, from. That's amazing. That like you can all Burl Ives. I don't know. What, what can you do with 17 different stations? I was, you know, I was aghast when I heard that there were markets 
uh, whether it be Phoenix or wherever, where there were three all Christmas music stations back in the 90s. I thought, right. how can they split up the audience? Right. But uh, apparently the uh, Sirius XM are 17 different Christmas <laughs> stations. <laughs> so, the all male, all the all So, female, yeah, the that's what I'm, I'm thinking. You know, all Johnny Mathis and the singing dogs on yeah. one station. <laughs> or instrument, only instrumentals, yes. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Smooth jazz Christmas, I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> the all Feliz Navidad station. Well, you could almost that do that by playing be, the one that song. It would be, you know, Guantanamo Bay. Police <laughs> <laughs> Navidad. Sit somebody you know, in a room and on a loop have Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad was one of the longest Christmas songs we ever played. It goes on. I mean, most Christmas songs are like around two, 50, two minutes, 50 seconds to three minutes, short three minutes. Feliz Navidad was almost five minutes long. I think it just, he kept going back to the verse. And, and I love the artist, of course. But uh, yeah. Yeah, Jose I, Feliciano was great. But yeah, it was the Hey Jude of Christmas music, certainly. <laughs> well, well, for disc jockeys, it was the go to the bathroom record. Uh huh. Which, by the way, we all need. Yes. <laughs> to go through the bathroom, man. <laughs> well, it's a it's a great idea, and it's certainly one of the most successful programming ideas ever in the history of radio. So, congratulations and happy holidays. Well, happy holidays to you too, Ken, and to all your listeners here on the podcast. And that will do it for the holiday edition of Hollywood and Levine. Again, the next episode will appear right after the first of the year. But uh, for now, depending upon when you are listening to this, have a Merry Christmas, have a Happy Holiday, have a Great Hanukkah, or... A happy new year. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, Bruce, and Jason Miller. I have an email address. It is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Follow me on Twitter at Ken Levine. Follow me on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. And sure, send expensive presents to me. That would be fine as well. Stay safe. Oh, God, let's have a much better year in 2021. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. Hollywood and the fine.